Good morning, and thanks for joining us. It's great to be with you again. Well, if you were to ask me my favorite beverage to have in the morning, well, these days, mostly what I drink is an espresso because it's easy. And now that Pete's Coffee makes pods for the Nespresso machine, it's easy to drink that in the mornings. But my favorite cup of coffee is Illy. It's something that Amy and I discovered last summer. And if it's prepared in just the right way, no cream, no sugar needed. It's just perfect the way it is. Hey, and if you have something that's one of your favorites and you want to share, please comment in the chat below. We'd love to hear um, how we might brighten all of our mornings with some uh, new choices for beverages. Hey, uh, we are continuing in the series that we started a few weeks ago called Waves and Anchors. We're looking at the vision and the mission and the core values of access. And it's a way for us to center on the things that God has taught us over the years as a church, because these things can form anchors for us in these very uncertain times. These are core convictions that we live by, and these are things that we want to be reminded of once again. And today, we're going to be looking at the core value that's going to be stated on the screen in just a moment. So I invite you to read this along with me as we recite this and get into it. So this is the core value. Let's read together. We receive people as they are. We accept people for who they really are, knowing that we are all in the process of being transformed into God's truer, more complete versions of ourselves. Today, we're going to unpack this core value, go into depth uh, into depth about what this means and how to live it out. And to kind of get our bearings straight, we're going to start with scripture this morning. We're going to be heading into the book of Mark and looking at a story that helps us to see why this is so. So Mark chapter 5 is one of my favorite chapters in the whole gospel narrative Mark um, because it's full of impossible situations. There are three impossible stories uh, that Mark tells. And in each situation, there's great pain and suffering. People have lost their sense of hope. There's no real way forward, not any human way forward. But Jesus steps into each of these scenarios and he brings something new. He brings deliverance. He brings life. He brings healing. And in that sense, he gives hope to the hopeless. He brings us this reminder today that even though there are scenarios and situations in which we can't figure out the solution or the next step forward, God, it doesn't mean that God has left the picture. We are reminded in Mark chapter 5 that God is still in control. And we are encouraged on in this journey of faith to look to him to find reasons to continue. So with that, we're going to jump into the second story of the three. And we're going to take a look at the story of a woman who is suffering for 12 years. Now to get the scene right, to understand how the story works, it's important to know this one thing. At this point in Mark's narrative, Jesus is so popular. He is uh, filled with need. People are coming to him by the hundreds, and they're asking him for healing, 
for wisdom, for teaching. Uh, there are also people who want to destroy him. So they're coming in, um, at him with questions and difficulties to try and trap him in his words. All this to say is if you wanted to see Jesus at this point in time, it was increasingly becoming difficult because there were simply so many people in the way. So um, it's kind of like if you've ever been to a sporting event or if you've ever left after a big concert, um, you know how crowded those situations can be and you know how chaotic a crowd can be. Years ago, uh, Amy and I were with kids in London, and during rush hour, we decided to take the subway. Not not the best idea, but we were out, um, and we were holding on to the kids, um, trying to hold them on onto them firmly. But the crowds were just so uh, immense that by the time we got onto the trains, we could no longer hold onto their hands. Uh, we had to come up with contingency plans in case we were separated or became lost. This is the kind of scenario that Jesus is encountering when he enters into towns. There are so many people that want his attention, it's hard to pay attention to the one. And yet, as we read on today, we're going to see how Jesus approaches the situation. Let's read from Mark chapter 5. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, that is Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Now, 12 years is a long time to suffer from a medical condition, something that kind of impairs your ability to function. It's most likely the case that this was menstrual bleeding. And 12 years meant that this woman suffered a lot. In addition to this, it says uh, in Mark's narrative that she went to a lot of doctors. She tried to find human solutions uh, to fix her medical condition. And after seeing doctors and specialists, after taking medication, trying one cure after another, she found nothing worked. In fact, her situation only grew worse to the point where she ran out of options because she was broke. So not only did this have a physical and emotional impact on her life, it had a very real economic impact on her life as well. And finally, one thing that was very likely the situation, 12 years was a long time for her to live under shame. See, in the ancient world, it was very common for people to have this type of thinking, that good things happen to good people, bad things happen to bad people. Now, in scripture, uh, we're taught that this is a much too simplistic way to view things. A life is much more complicated than that. There's a lot more nuance to that. Uh, right now in my personal scripture readings every day, I'm going through the book of Job. And Job reminds us that there's a lot more complexity to this situation. In fact, bad things happen to good people. 
Suffering can occur because of evil doing, but bad things can also happen to us because we simply live in a fallen world that's filled with pain um, and evil. Not everyone in the ancient world was equipped with this nuanced type of thinking, and very likely she suffered a great deal of shame. And you can see this in the way that she approached Jesus, not wanting any attention, but kind of a stealth way of greeting him. In addition to this, there was something um, that she probably had to wrestle through because she was unclean. In the ancient world, because she was bleeding and because she was sick, she was deemed unclean and unable to go to the temple, unable to pray with her people. And because of this, it probably added to the amount of agony that she experienced. Now, not all is lost in this story. This is the Gospel of Mark. This is the good news about Jesus. And one day, she learns that Jesus is coming to her town. She, she determines with all of her might and energy that she is going to meet Jesus. So let's go back into the narrative. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you? His disciples answered. And yet you can ask, Who touched me? This is one of the more unusual stories of healing in the New Testament, because most often when people encounter Jesus, there are words exchanged. There's a, a teaching that goes on. There's some kind of interaction. But in this story, there's only the transaction of power. This woman has touched Jesus. She's been healed. And she wants to slink away, probably because she's lived under the weight of shame for so long. She doesn't want to bother Jesus. But this is where the narrative really flips around and changes. Because in the first part of the narrative, this woman is searching for Jesus. And now Jesus is searching for this woman. Because in his book, the story is not finished. There's much more to deal with. And so Jesus begins this pursuit. Against all odds, in this crowd, even though his disciples are almost in disbelief because there are so many people who want his attention, why is he stopping for just one person who touched his clothes? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him, the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love this story in Mark because it is so moving. And there are three details that I really want to point out that help bring this to life. And the first is this, this phrase, the whole truth. This woman came back to tell 
the whole truth. She told about her journey. Most likely she talked about how it was so difficult to go from doctor to doctor for 12 years to suffer this condition and to find no solution, no answers, and to be broke at the end of it all. And finally, to have this moment of healing, oh, it just meant the world to her. We'll get back to this important detail in just a few minutes. The second detail I want to point out is a silent one. It's one that you get from reading the whole narrative, the rest of Mark chapter 5, because there's a sense of urgency in the rest of the story. Jesus is being asked to hurry up, if you know what I mean. Uh, a father had just come to him with a request to heal his daughter because his daughter is on her deathbed. There's a sense of, we got to go now. But instead of going right away, Jesus stops. She he understands that this woman has needs as well. He stops, he listens, he pays attention, and in the midst of hundreds of people who want his attention, he pays attention to the one. And finally, the third detail I want to point out here is his affirmation of who she is. He gives her a title, daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. I love this ending because Jesus is encouraging her along in her journey of faith and is giving her the emotional embrace of belonging by calling her daughter. She belongs to God. She is important. She is valuable too. Even though she may have felt over the last 12 years that maybe God had forgotten her. No, that's not the case. And Jesus reaffirms, daughter, your faith has made you well. This is where we get our core value from. This is the story that compels us to, to live into this belief. We receive people as they are. So let's read this one more time uh, and read it out loud and reaffirm what we hold together. We receive people as they are. We accept people for who they really are, knowing that we are all in the process of being transformed into God's truer, more complete versions of ourselves. Now, what does this core value look like in real life? And what are some ways for us to take this a step deeper. I'd like to suggest three ways in which we can practice this core value in real life. And the first is this, we need to make room for each other's stories. This is what Jesus modeled for us, and this is what Jesus practiced. There's a flow and a hurry to Mark chapter 5, because there are things for him to get to, there are people clamoring for his attention, and yet Jesus stops. He pauses and he listens and he receives this woman as she is, as she tells the whole truth. Now, all of us have our own stories, right? And there are parts of our stories that we'd like to maybe tell about where we've come from, uh, the things that we believe in, the things that we hope for, things that are important to us, our sense of accomplishment, the things that we can speak of easily. But this story also reminds us, in an almost uncomfortable way, 
this reality that we know about. There are also parts of our lives that we prefer to remain hidden, tucked away in secret. Things that we don't like to mention because they're painful for us. We've suffered, and we don't even know if people really want to listen to us. There is a risk of judgment. And so in these places, what often happens is as we stuff down these secrets and we hold on to our pain and to our suffering and don't let God into these places, what happens in our soul in our souls is kind of, of a burden, a, a storm of sorts that has the power to derail us in our relationships with one another, with other people that we love, and even with God. And what Jesus is inviting this woman to do is to find healing by speaking her whole truth. And likewise, we are invited to do the same with God and with each other. But in order for this to happen, we need to make room for these stories to be shared. Now, one spiritual writer uh, talks about it in this way. We all have our glittering image. And what's our glittering image? Our glittering image is the version of ourselves that we think everybody is going to like. It's the version of ourselves that we idealize and that we love. It's how we want to be accepted. Everyone has some version of this glittering image. And for some of us, it's uh, having the perfect career. For some of us, it's about being the perfect girlfriend or boyfriend or wife or husband. For some of us, it's about being the perfect son or daughter to our parents. We want to do it all right. For others, it's about pleasing all the demands that are placed on us. And for other people, it's about what we possess and what we own. Maybe our home and our car and our possessions. These things we like to boast about and give us a sense of firmness. We think they are an anchor for our souls. But nothing could be further from the truth. When we build our lives on these things, they become very unstable because they were never meant to capture and hold the weight of our identity and our souls. And what Jesus is trying to do for this woman is to help her find some light and some relief. And what he wants to offer you and me is freedom from the burden of placing our identity on the wrong things. Henry Nouwen was an author and teacher and a spiritual writer, and he was very successful in many ways. And I love to quote from him, especially when we talk about things like identity and worth. For about 25 years, he spent his time um, writing and teaching in the academy. But when he turned 50, he had a moment of realization. He knew he had already passed the sort of halfway mark of his life, and he asked himself this question. After 25 years of ministry, was his life better for it or worse? Was he closer to God or further away? And the answer was a clear no. He actually wasn't closer to God. His spiritual life was kind of a mess. He wasn't praying well, he wasn't doing well, he was stressed and burnt out and overworked. So he took some time to pray and ask, he asked God what was next. And 
An uncomfortable answer came back to him. He felt called to serve among a community of people who had mental disabilities. And I love this quote from his book. The first thing that struck me when I came to live in a house with mentally handicapped people was that their liking and disliking of me had absolutely nothing to do with any of the many useful things I had done until then. Since nobody could read my books, the books could not impress anyone. And since most of them never went to school, my 20 years at Notre Dame, Yale, and Harvard did not provide a significant introduction. My considerable ecumenical experience proved even less valuable. When I offered some meat to one of the assistants during dinner, one of them, a handicapped man, said to me, don't give him meat. He doesn't eat meat. He's a Presbyterian. Not being able to use any of the skills that had proved so practical in the past was a real source of anxiety. I had suddenly faced with my naked self, open for affirmations and rejections, hugs, hugs and punches, smiles and tears, all dependent simply on how I was perceived at the moment. In a way, it seemed as though I was starting my life all over again. Relationships, connections, reputations could no longer be counted on. This, is, this experience was, and in many ways, is still the most important experience of my new life because it forced me to rediscover my true identity. These broken, wounded, and completely unpretentious people forced me to let go of my relevant self, the self that can do things, show things, prove things, build things, and forced me to reclaim that unadorned self in which I am completely vulnerable, open to receive and give love, regardless of my accomplishments. I share this quote today because I think there is significant work that can be done in our lives when we take the time to share our stories and give room to it. Not all of us will be called to, to live our lives in a different community like Henry Nowen did, but I believe that the power of honest and truthful storytelling gets at the heart of what Nowen experienced. To be in a place that doesn't necessarily overly prop up some of the cultural expectations of our day. That lives by the kingdom of God and allows stories to be spoken truly and freely. And for us to accept each other on the basis of God's values, not the world's. There's a second practice I think that's really important for us to listen to today. And that is to learn to engage others with the love of God. So years ago, I used to meet regularly with a spiritual director from Chapelwood, UMC, named Jerry Weber. And Jerry shared uh, many points of wisdom with me along the way. And one of them I never forgot was this word about how he shows up and listens to other people. And constantly, when he listens to other people, the question that is going on in his heart is, what is the most loving thing that I can bring into this situation? 
Now, love has been a very deep part of my formation. It's how I understand leadership and it's the way in which I operate with leadership. But Jerry's approach was just slightly different, different enough to make me pay attention because the way he asked the question was deeply God-centered in the way in which he approached it. So with one ear, he was listening to people's stories, but with another ear, he was really listening for how God wanted him to bring love into the situation. So as we learn to give space for each other's stories, the next step is this. It's to have one ear open to stories that other people share with us, but another ear open to what God may be saying to us about how to love. And the most loving thing that we can do for people will change from situation to situation. In some cases, the most loving thing to do is to slow down, listen, and encourage and affirm, to speak peace over somebody. In other situations, the most loving thing to do is to remain silent and not to share over that story, but just to let it sit. For some other scenarios, the most loving thing that we can do is actually contradict and speak a word of truth. Because sometimes God is asking us to bring truth to a situation that is full of lies. The scenarios may all change and be slightly different. But the constant thing is this. As we learn to listen to one another and learn to receive one another as they are, we are opening up our lives to the prophetic to listen to how God may be asking us to show up and offer love in the, in the way of Jesus. The third and final practice for today is to learn to center our storytelling around this last question. What might be your next step of faith? Now this question needs to be asked out of a spirit of love, but it's important that we ask it because there are some assumptions behind it. It assumes that we are all on a journey of faith to become more of what God designed us to be, our true self in God. This is how this core value is different from the cultural value of tolerance. Now, tolerance is a good thing for society as a whole, but we're not just simply promoting tolerance when we talk about this core value of receiving other people, because our receiving other people is with an eye toward with an aim toward God's ultimate desire for us. There is a true self that is waiting to emerge underneath all the lies and all the cultural baggage that we wear. And as we learn to live into this true self, this is where freedom is. This is part of our journey of faith. And we can engage in this by asking this simple question. What might be your next step? Of faith. As we wrap up thinking about the core value, this core value for today, I just want to say that this is one of the treasures that I love about Access. It is a place where many of us, including myself, have learned to share our stories much more deeply and through it have learned to experience freedom, healing, and deliverance in Christ. And through it, I believe we have something to offer the rest of this world. We have a way of engaging others with the depths of Christ's love. So 
Let's today go out with our sending prayer and know the and go with the confidence that God loves us. Loving God through all our years, let the church be a community where we learn about love and practice it, where we envision peace and work to build it, where we meet partners in faith who wish to abandon everything that cheapens our discipleship, where we discover gifts and offer them. May your spirit guide us for joy and generosity in Jesus' name, in the way of Jesus.